Again, we're thankful for your presence in our assembly. Those that might be connected by Zoom, we're thankful that you're with us this evening. As was mentioned, we're going to move forward with part two of the study that we started this morning about our eternal existence. We mentioned that Brother Pat Manon developed a lot of this material some 40 years ago, and it's still very timely for what we need to study. It's been several years since this has been presented from the pulpit here. It will be a review for some, but for many of us, these things may be these illustrations we haven't seen before. We talked about these four stages on the left side of this illustration, that every person alive is in one of these categories, either innocent, an alien sinner, in the kingdom of God, or one that has fallen back into sin, having been in the kingdom of God. And we talked about that there's only two exits out of each one of these categories. That this is like a maze. We enter at the upper left with birth, and then we're within these blue areas throughout eternity. There's no escaping. Because once our conception and birth happens, then we have a soul that God has given us that's eternal. And so there is no other side of this illustration, so to speak, but we will be here throughout eternity. We talked about how things after death are veiled. We are given things in Scriptures that teach us about what is going to happen after death, and we want to look at those. The Bible tells us where we came from, what we're doing here, what our purpose is, and what our eternity is going to look like. Brother Mike Hayes spoke Wednesday night, and he talked about if we knew our future, and in fact we do know many things about our future so that we can be prepared. And this is along the same lines that we want to look into these things and be aware of what's going to happen at the time of our death. There's a huge amount of curiosity around things after death. There was a book written back in 2010 about the boy who came back from heaven. And he told a story about how he was in a traffic accident. He was in a coma for two years or t- two months. And he talked about how he went to heaven, how he went through a tunnel. He met five angels at the end of that tunnel. He went there and he met Jesus, and Jesus told him he was going to survive. And he saw the devil there. The devil had three heads and his eyes were red. His teeth were moldy and his hair was on fire. And they wrote that book and over a million copies of that book sold. They even made a TV movie about that book, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. You know what happened in 2015? He recanted every bit of that story and said it was all made up. But that story caught people's attention, and especially in the Christian publishing community, huge numbers of people bought that and read it. We have all of these Left Behind series, the books, the movies, the things that people are portraying will happen at end times because there's a great curiosity about this. But what we need to do is allow God's Word to pull this veil back and to see what His Word says about these matters. We, the last verse we used this morning is every one of us, no matter what stage of life we're in, we're going to leave this life in the same way. We're going to die. And we talked about this appointment 
that is given for all men that we will all meet. So as we push back the veil and continue to look at God's Word, we're wanting to notice these various scriptures. We're going to start here in the center under Hebrews 9 and come down, and then we will be highlighting the various verses that have to do with these different processes that we read about in Scripture that are going to happen at our death. Many believe that when we die, we just go back to the dust, and that's the end of us. That's what happens to an animal's body. You know, Solomon said an animal's spirit goes back to the ground. But we know that we have a body that's going to go back to this earth, and we have a spirit that's going to go back to God. In Matthew 10, verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We're going to notice this word hell in some different ways that we can make a distinction about what the Bible is talking about here in a moment. But here it's talking about the lake of fire that's pictured way over here on your right in this lower corner. And the Bible says we need to fear God because He can take us over here and He can destroy both soul and body in hell. We're going to talk in a few moments about this center section of Hades a temporary holding place for the soul. And we're going to notice that there's a place of torment and a place of comfort in Hades. The difference in the torment in Hades and the lake of fire is Hades is for the soul. The lake of fire is for both the soul and the body. James tells us clearly that death brings a separation of the body and the spirit. So no matter what, compartment we're in when our die when we die our soul and our body split and you'll see that as we come out the various conduits of this illustration we come over and the body splits off it's colored gray a dark gray and it goes around and it goes over and it goes into the grave that's what happens with everybody's body when we die but you'll also notice that when that soul is split off it goes a different direction because it goes to a different place. Remember in Ecclesiastes verse 12 or chapter 12 verse 7, then the dust shall return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. As we noted earlier, death is only one way. We can't go back against the arrows in this illustration. So we die and we cannot come back to life. Jesus Christ did that once for all. There were a few miracles performed through the, the time of the Bible where people were brought back to life. But then we know that they went ahead and died again. And they passed through the phase of the life on this earth, which Job told us in our opening verse this morning is like a flower or a shadow. It's fleeting because compared to eternity, our life on this earth is very minimal. Our body goes back to the common elements of which it was made. The journey of the mortal body and its resting place are indicated in our illustration here by the compartment representing the grave. Upon death, the separate abode for the soul is called Hades. We can read about this in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. 
We're going to have most of this text up on the screen, but if you'd like to open your Bible to Luke 16, we're going to spend the next several minutes discussing the various elements of this account and what they tell us about what happens when we die. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 16. We will begin reading in verse number 19. And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried." We're going to stop right there in verse 23, and we're going to talk about what we learn. Christ tells this account of two individuals. One is referred to as the rich man. He's not named here, but he had everything that he needed in this life. The Bible says he fared sumptuously. But at his gate was this individual named Lazarus, who was a beggar. He was poor. He didn't have the nutrition that he needed. He had sores on his body. He didn't have even enough strength to shoo the dogs away. And the Bible tells us that he just wanted the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. But the rich man never noticed that and never reached out to help Lazarus in this life. And so these two men were alive and then they died. And that's what we're talking about. What happened to them when they died? More than likely, the the beggar's body was thrown in the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem where they burned the trash, a place called Gehenna in the Greek. And we're going to talk about this word hell in our King James Version sometimes is referring to this word Gehenna, the lake of fire. He he didn't have the means to have a funeral, and so his body went back to the elements. The rich man, it tells us, was buried, so he had a funeral. So these men died, picking it up then in verse 23. And in hell, speaking of the rich man, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame." But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they that would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence." We see then specifically what happened to this rich man after he died. It says the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell. Now this is a rather confusing statement to a lot of people. As we said, there are three different Greek words that are translated into our English word hell in the King James Version. These three different words refer to three different places. So every time the Bible speaks of hell, it's not talking about this lake of fire. It certainly is used in that way, but it is not used in that way every time. That's not what is meant here in Luke 16 and verse 23. 
The word hell in some cases is referring to this temporary holding place for the souls of those departed. If you use the New King James Version or some other versions and you read these exact passages, that word hell may say Hades because that's the Greek word that was used in the original language. We have a list of the, verse, the verses in the New Testament that in the King James Bible uses the word hell to indicate this place called Hades. That's Matthew eleven twenty three. That's also Matthew 16, verse 18. Remember this morning we read this verse and we said Christ established His church and it, He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I said remember that phrase because we were coming back to it. That word hell in that passage is referring to Hades. And what Christ is saying, He died on the cross, He was buried for three days, His body was put into the tomb. Where did His soul go? His soul went to Hades. And there it stayed for three days, but the gates of Hades could not stop Christ. He defeated death, He defeated the devil, and He came back and was resurrected on the third day. And so he was able to come back and through his resurrection, he was able to establish the institution of the church or the kingdom. One time in the King James Bible, there's another word that's translated hell, and that's the Greek word Tartarus. That's in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. It is stated by those who are experts in Greek that this is indicative of the lower compartment of Hades, of that place of torment, the same place where the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torment. And the Bible says that these evil angels are being held there in reserve until judgment. And that's what we find in our illustration, that the souls go there and wait, until Christ comes back and is resurrected. The souls come out of Hades, the bodies out of the grave, they're joined back together, and then they stand before God for that final day of judgment. But this word also can mean the lake of fire, and we see it used in all of these passages here in this lower box to mean that final place where the evil will receive their sentence of damnation. Matthew 18, verse 9 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We read this just a moment ago. And we said in the lake of fire, or in Gehenna, it's going to be soul and body, and it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be put in that lake of fire, and it will remain there for an eternity. There's a lot of different ideas about what happens to the evil people after death. Some people say they'll be put in a lake of fire, but they'll just be annihilated, and that'll be the end of them. That's not what the Bible teaches. As we go through this illustration and read these verses, we're going to find that heaven is a final resting place for the righteous, and that is eternal, and that the lake of fire is a place of damnation for those that are evil. And it's also eternal. Their equivalent as far as the length within them. 
When a person goes to the lake of fire, remember, they go both soul and body. And this is a significant difference between Hades and Gehenna, as we had mentioned. Remember the rich man who went to Hades in Luke 16, his body was buried. So we know where his body went. Where did his soul go? It went to torment. So we move back to our illustration and we'll now notice the different compartments of Hades. The upper compartment is where Lazarus went. We noted that in Luke 16 verse 22, that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. That is this place of comfort. This is the place that Christ went during that three-day period that his body was in the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. That's where Christ's body stayed. His soul went to Hades. And that is where this beggar was carried by the angels. In Luke 23, 42-43, here on the crucifixion scene, we see Christ interacting with one of the thieves on the cross. A thief that confessed Christ to be Lord. And what did Christ say to that thief? Or what did the thief ask the Lord? Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What was Christ talking about? Where was he going to be that very day upon the point of his death? When he let those words go, it is finished. And his soul left his body, causing death, the spirit being separated from the body. He went to this upper compartment of Hades. And the thief went there with him. Someone might say, well, how do you know Christ didn't go to heaven where God is? Because as we continue to look at these passages, we find out, in fact, that Christ said after His resurrection that He did not, had not been to heaven. In John chapter 20 and verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Here is Mary Magdalene right after Christ was resurrected. And she wanted to cling to Christ. She wanted things to go back like they were before Christ died. And Christ said, don't cling to me now. He said, I'm going to ascend to my Father, but I haven't done that yet. You need to begin to walk by faith, was the message that he was telling her. But it's very specific here that Christ said he hadn't ascended to the Father. So he hadn't come over and went up to heaven here on the far right-hand side where God dwells, but he had gone to this place of comfort in Hades. Not only do we have these verses, but we have Peter specifically stating that Christ's soul was in Hades. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We begin reading in verse 29 and we read about uh, the prophecy that the Messiah would come while David the patriarch was in his grave. And Peter was pointing out that Christ had been sent as the Messiah, that He was Christ. He was the Savior. He was the King. And He comes down here and He says in verse 31, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that His soul was not left in hell. That's the word for Hades. His soul was not left in Hades. So we find that 
His flesh did not see corruption, but God raised him up according to verse 32, whereof we are all witnesses. Peter said, we've all seen the resurrected Christ, that his soul could not be held in this holding place, but that he broke back through the gates of Hades and he established his kingdom. Sometimes the word paradise refers to heaven. But in this context, I believe that we can tell that it refers to this place of comfort that the beggar went after he died. So there is a place in between here on earth and the eternal state in either heaven or hell. This is Hades, and it's a section to hold the souls of those who have passed away, one for the righteous and one for the evil. Another important thing we need to emphasize is that there's no place of passing in between. Look back to Luke chapter 16, this time in verse number 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. That means it's there, it's not going to move. And Abraham told the rich man, he said, They which would pass from hence, meaning where Lazarus is, cannot pass from from there to here, he can't bring you a drop of cold water to cool his torment because of this great gulf. And people that are in torment, they cannot pass from that compartment into that place of comfort. There's a doctrine that's taught in some religions called purgatory. And the fact they teach that after death, you go to purgatory, it's a purifying thing that happens, and through prayer and donations and things like that, a person can move, be moved out of purgatory, the soul, into this place of comfort. In fact, back in the 1500s, they sold this ability when a person could go and pay the religious person, and they would pray the person out of purgatory into comfort. And it's not exactly taught that way today, but there's still a lot of ideas about purgatory. And we see that these are false things that we do not see in this illustration that shows us what the Bible teaches about what happens after we die. We need to remember that once we die, our fate is sealed. We see this rich man, he wanted... His tongue cooled, and that wasn't possible. And, the, and so he decided, well, I want you to go back and tell my brothers. We need to go back and warn these people so that they won't come to this place. We read in verse 27 of Luke 16, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. One of the ideas about the boy that came back from heaven by these Christian publishers was the fact to show people that something's going to happen after we die and we need to get ready for that now. That was a false story, but what we're reading about here is not a false story. This is the words of Jesus Christ. And this man who lifted up his eyes in torment immediately upon his death, he wanted somebody to go back and warn his brothers. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. This was during the law of Moses, wasn't it? 
This was before Christ died and was buried and resurrected and His kingdom came into power. And so the rich man was told they have the Old Testament. They have God's law. If they're willing to listen to that, they know what they need to do to get ready. You know, if you continue to read a little further down, the rich man said, well, you know, if somebody went back from the dead, they'd believe them. You know, that's foreshadowing of exactly what happened. Christ did come back from the dead. And He did testify. And He did tell us what we needed to do to avoid going to this place of torment. And yet, people today, many will not listen. It doesn't matter if we're not willing to embrace what God teaches. It doesn't matter if somebody has gone to the dead and has been resurrected. We are here on earth now, but upon our death our soul has to go to one of two places. This is the journey of mankind through life and then after life. Still, we continue down this eternal existence. Jesus is going to return someday. When Jesus returns, these temporary places that we've just went across are going to be destroyed. The grave is going to be destroyed, and Hades is going to be destroyed. Because these places are going to give up the components of us as humans, and they're going to be brought back together. Our body is not going to be brought back as we see and, and hear and touch today but it's going to be a changed body. Let's continue to watch as we move through these different conditions. Let's turn now and let's uh, read in John chapter 5, verse 28 and verse 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Everybody's going to be resurrected. The evil are not going to just stay in the grave, as some people suppose, and only the righteous be resurrected. There's not going to be a resurrection of some people and then years later a resurrection of other people as many of these end time theories teach. But there's going to be a resurrection when Christ comes back. And all the righteous of all ages who are in the grave are going to come forth. Their soul's going to come out of this place of comfort. Their body's going to be changed and they're going to move forward to stand before God for their sentence. All of the evil of all ages are going to come out of the grave. Their souls out of this place of torment, Tartarus and Hades, they're going to be joined together. Their bodies are going to be eternal bodies. And they're going to go and face the sentence that God gives to them. We turn now to the next verse that we want to consider. And that's from 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in verse number 50. This is called the resurrection chapter. And these verses specifically talk about what's going to happen to our body when Christ comes again. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and the mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If we only knew the future so that we could get ready. We know the future. We know our bodies are going to be resurrected. And Paul said, knowing that, in verse 58, that we need to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because what we do as work for the Lord puts treasure up in heaven. And when we die and we move through the various stages of our eternity, we will have an eternal home in heaven. This is the message today. This is why we look at these things that we know are going to happen after death. So we will understand. So we will be prepared. So we will get ready to meet God in judgment. This body will have an instant change. We're going to notice a little bit more about the conditions in heaven when we find our... If we meet our Savior there, we've been faithful and we receive that reward... There's not going to be pain. There's not going to be tears. There's not going to be dying. The things that we suffer, you know, Job said, man born of woman is full of trouble. We have all of these troubles in this broken world, and a lot of them tie back to our physical bodies. Our health issues, our issues that we face through temptation because of our weaknesses in the flesh. We want to go to that place where we will not have these issues any longer. No more death, no more tears, no more crying, no more disease, no more temptation, no more fighting off all of the evil that goes on around us in the world. We want to notice at this judgment seat, once this change takes place and we move forward and this great white throne judgment takes place, Revelations chapter 20, verse 12 through 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. How are we going to be judged? These books are going to be opened. The Old Testament is going to be opened for those that lived under the time of Moses. Like the rich man, when he stands before God with his new body and he accounts for what he's done in life, he's going to be judged by the law of Moses. There's going to be another book opened, the New Testament. And those of us that have lived in the Christian age, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of our works while we were alive on this earth. There's another book, the book of life. We mentioned it this morning. When we are born again and we move out of this alien sin into the kingdom of God, our names are written in the book of life. That's the book that is being noted here in our reading. 
It says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. That death and hell that's going to be delivering up its components, that's the grave and that's Hades. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. It's mentioned twice in these few short verses that we're going to be judged according to the life that we have lived while on this earth. That's the criteria. Our works compared to the written record of the law of God and how we measure up. And notice in verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. You know, I mentioned earlier that Hades and the grave are going to be destroyed. There's no further need for them. When this earth burns up with all of its elements and it's done away with, Hades and the grave will be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you look over to Revelations twenty-two nineteen, the Bible says if we take away from the words that are recorded in this book, that God will take away our part out of the book of life. The book of life recorded there when we become a child of God. If we remain faithful, it will continue to be recorded there. If we turn our back on God, our part will be taken out of the book of life. And so when we stand before God at that final judgment, that will be what determines where we go. Some people look at this illustration and they talk about the fact, well, this rich man knew what his destination was immediately upon his death. He was in torment. So what's the purpose of having a judgment later on? And I compare that to our criminal system in our country today. If we commit a crime, we're arrested and we're put in holding. And we're held there until a court date is set. And then we go to that court date and all the evidence is brought and it's read before the judge and then we receive our sentence. All the data is there and then that judge tells us if we're guilty or if we're innocent and then he gives us our sentence. And I believe that that is what we find in these accounts and in this illustration of God's plan. Even though right after we die we're either in comfort or torment, that's our soul only. Then we go further down when Christ is, comes again, we're resurrected. We have our soul and our body and we go to God and we have that final judgment and we have that sentence from God. In Matthew chapter 25, we're not going to read this whole account, but beginning in verse 31, we have a judgment scene. And this scene is where Christ separates the sheep, those on the right, from the goats, those on the left. And it was based on their activities in this life. Christ said, when you saw your fellow man in need, you didn't respond. I remind you what happened with the rich man in Luke 16. Did he see his fellow man in need? Did he respond to that? He didn't. And Christ judged these people. They said, when did we see you in need and not respond? And he said, if you see the least of my brothers in need and you don't respond, it's the very same if you didn't respond to me. And so they were separated out. And then the text moves to the sheep. And Christ talks about how that when people 
were in need, that these responded to those needs. And he said, in the same way that you responded to them, you responded unto me. And we come down to the very last verse, verse number 46. And we understand that this is a judgment where Christ is giving the sentence. And he says, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Those that were evil, that did not live for Christ, that did not serve their fellow man, they were sentenced to everlasting punishment. But notice the end of this sentence, but the righteous into eternal life. What a difference it makes for us to select Christ and to obey the gospel and to be a child of His and then to add those virtues that we talked about this morning. To, be, to grow and be mature and grow closer to Christ throughout our whole life. When we do that, we're safe and we're going to hear that judgment sentence from Christ enter into eternal life. In this journey, the majority will find themselves with a final destination in the lake of fire. According to the teachings of our Savior, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So sad to say, the majority of people who are born into this life, they're given the blessings of God, they're born innocent, they're given the opportunities to seek after God and to find Him and to be reborn again and be a part of His kingdom. They're going to refuse that. And what's their state going to be? Revelations chapter 21, or chapter 20, verse 10 and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. I realize that the book of Revelations was written in symbols, and that a lot of this language is symbolic, and it could be applied maybe to a specific context earlier. But we see these principles that are taught throughout God's Word. That when we end up in this place of eternal damnation, that it's going to be a place of suffering. There's probably not going to be a literal fire. A literal fire would burn things up or eventually burn out. But we have in the Bible these descriptive terms that describe the worst suffering that we could ever endure. And we're taught that when we reach this place, if this is our sentence, that that will be our destination for eternity. Again, Revelations chapter 14 and verse number 11. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. This is serious. This is as serious as it ever gets. This is not a nice subject it's not something we enjoy talk about talking about is the final judgment of god and where those that are evil are going to end up but it's a reality this is what we spoke about this morning having a perspective to see the big picture and to see the reality that there's a place of punishment ahead for those that are separated from god 
We need to understand this. This will drive us to share Christ with others that we know are in a lost state. Not that we know, but that we understand are in jeopardy. It's not our place to make that judgment. But as we look at the fruit of others and we read our Bible, we see, as we just stated in Matthew 7, many are going down that broad way. And we know if they have not embraced God that they're in jeopardy of being given this eternal damnation. We need to let this affect who we are and what we do and the urgency of the message of reaching out to other people. On the other hand, some will receive the blessed home that Christ desires to give to each and every one of us. It's going to be a magnificently beautiful place that has been prepared for those that are faithful to our Savior. John 14, verses 1 to 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know, as Carrie officiated at the Lord's Supper this morning, he mentioned that we're covered by the blood of Christ. That if we walk in the light, if we give ourselves to God, even though we make mistakes, even though we stumble and fall, Christ's blood covers us. We don't have to be in doubt about our salvation. We don't have to be in doubt about where our eternity lies. Because Christ has given the ultimate sacrifice for us. His blood is powerful enough. If we choose Him that He can take us to be with Him forever in heaven. That's our destiny as Christians. Being aware of the lake of fire is very important, but we don't need to live in fear of that as the children of God because we have these promises and these blessings that God laid out before this earth was ever created to take those that are faithful to that place of rest forever and ever. Revelations 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. In this setting, we will gather around the throne of our Heavenly Father. There we will praise and worship the Lamb that died for us. We can fall at the feet of our Savior and of our Creator, And we can join our voices with God's holy angels along with all of God's people of all ages that's ever lived in this world. Those that have obeyed God will be found in this place. Those who inherit heaven will never again be vexed. Where's the devil? The devil's in the lake of fire. Where are those evil angels? They were reserved unto judgment, and now they've been judged, and now they are receiving their sentence. There's nothing that is threatening to anyone that is righteous in heaven. It's a glorious home, and you and I can go there. But we have to make that choice, and we have to make the right decisions. Where we leave life will determine where we spend eternity. You know, it's always one of the saddest occasions that we can endure in this life 
when an infant dies, when they pass from this life. But we've studied today that the innocent, when they die, their soul's going to go over here. It's going to separate from their body and go to a place of comfort. Their body's going to go to the grave. When Christ comes again, they're going to be resurrected and they're going to spend eternity in heaven. We need to have that comfort, don't we? On the dark days, when these little ones pass away for one reason or another, we have that comfort. If we go to God's Word and look there, we have what we need to get through that and to praise God through all of those things that might happen. Those that die in the Lord. Revelations fourteen thirteen. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. There is no doubt what happens to those that are in this safe place of the church, that have obeyed the gospel, they've turned their life over to Christ, they're letting Christ live in them, they're reflecting the light of Christ, they're walking in that light, His blood continuously covers them, and when they come to the point of the end of this life, there's nothing but more blessings to enjoy. Greater blessings than anything that we can know in this life. Their body and soul will be separated. Their soul will go to comfort. Their body to the grave. They'll be resurrected unto eternal life. What happens when someone dies having never obeyed the gospel? We've read these verses before. We understand. We've seen some of them today. There's many more. That when people do not acknowledge God, God will acknowledge, not acknowledge them. And when death happens, their destiny is just like that rich man. They're going to wake up in torment. When Christ comes again, they'll be resurrected, and their eternal destiny will be the lake of fire. We read several verses this morning about the state that men find themselves if they turn their back after being a part of God's family. One of those accounts said that they're in a worse place in this place than they were to have never named the name of Christ. They know what it's about. They know what, it's, what it takes to obey Christ and to feel that cleansing from sin and yet the, turning their back on that. And what is the destiny of these? Again, we see through this diagram their soul and body separated, their soul to Hades in the place of torment when Christ comes again, resurrected body, soul meeting that, and they will be sent to the lake of fire. I hope that this lesson makes an impression on you. Probably this lesson has made one of the greatest impressions on me of any that I've ever heard. And like I said, this has been 30 or 40 years ago. And all of these things still carry truth. They all still motivate us to have an eternal perspective. And they motivate us to make the right decisions in this life. If you, if you have not obeyed the gospel, we want to encourage you to do that this evening. Don't put that off. Make the changes necessary to come to Christ and receive these blessings. If you're someone who requests the prayers of the church, 
to help you get back on track as a Christian, we would also encourage you to come tonight. One of either, come forward and be seated on the front as we stand and sing the song of invitation.